This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Market Scale Software and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and thanks for joining us with another conversation with Schubler Technologies. We'll get more into what the topic is this time, but as we're chatting, make sure that you're subscribing to our various podcasts. You can go to our website, marketscale.com, or look up MarketScale Radio or MarketScale Technology on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for a full catalog of various thought leadership, interviews, industry updates and more. And to learn more about Schubler Technologies, who we'll be uh, chatting about today, you can go to their website, schubler-technologies.com. That's S-C-H-U-E-B-E-L-E-R-technologies.com. So on today's episode, we're getting another deep dive into the world of aero modeling with Schubler Technologies. In our previous Schubler conversations, we've spoken with longtime aero modelers to highlight their creative and technical work. And today we are doing the same and getting the story behind some specific models, their technical specifics, how they've performed, uh, but this time focusing in a little more on how Schubler Technologies provides aero modeling support from start to finish, hearing it from the mouth of a tried and true Aero modeler. So I'm pleased to welcome our guest for the day, Brian Dice. He's president of Dream RC Airplanes, which is a high end electric RC jet modeling company that's been in business since 2000. Brian Dice, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure getting to source your insights today and learn a little bit more about your passion for the industry, as well as how you work with Schubler Technologies and what sort of tech is needed to meet your vision for aero models today. Uh, I want to start with something kind of light and fun. I've heard a pretty astounding stat that showcases just how much aero modeling you really do. Uh, Apparently, you've installed more of Schubler's ducted fans into your aero models than just about any other builder uh is that accurate what makes you think that i believe it is accurate uh we've worked so so closely with schubler and and all their support that uh, i don't think there's anybody that bought any more than we did uh, one of my high-end clients uh, has the largest collection of electric jets in the world and uh, i've installed almost all of them for him so i i can't imagine that there are any weekend modelers that have put in more equipment than we have uh and we've learned every time, too. Uh, you would think that after you put a bunch of them in, it would become very normal, but actually each one's got excitement with it. <laughs> That's a great time. Yeah, I mean, being able to work with a client of that magnitude uh, definitely must put you at least in the upper echelon, but that's exciting. We're going to be pulling from a lot of hands-on insight then. Uh, so I want to start by tracking your history a bit. I know you started uh, working on aero models by making wood planes for uh, IMAC. 
and some various other competitions. And then about 10 years ago, you transitioned to work with some large clients on electric projects and now uh, create several electric jet models. Can you track that history a little better for us and also uh, intersect it with how the technology of an aero model has evolved over the years to better bring to life your vision? Yeah, it sure has. That's uh, that's the interesting part of what I do. Uh, I've been in modeling really all my life. I was a competition aerobatic pilot even as a junior. And uh, the AMA uh, used to have national competitions once a year. And if you won enough contests during the summer, in the fall, you could go to the nationals. And we always went there. And so we've always, I've always been flying, but other careers got in the way for many years. So in 2000, I got back in the business. Um, and it was to make uh, iMac airplanes and 3D airplanes. I did a lot of wood construction, some composites, but mostly wood. And uh, the airplane of the day was made by Cardin Aircraft, so I've uh, long ago lost count of how many Cardins we've made. Uh, at one point, we were making them four at a time, setting them in jigs, and we could build the entire airplane in less than two weeks. Uh, so there's a ton of experience there in the organization. And um, then as the ARFs became popular, builders, of course, we're pretty much run out of that wooden airplane business. And so we were as well, and we sort of made the shift to the higher end uh, markets, which really meant airplanes that didn't originate in America. So the really good uh, composite airplanes all tended to be from Europe. So we were involved in all of that as it started to grow, and then ran on to a couple of these high-end clients that like large airplanes, but didn't like gasoline airplanes. And that's what started us down this odd road we're on now. Uh, so if you're going to do electric, and at that time there weren't that many, uh, your choices were limited and uh, size was limited. The fans were small, and uh, so you couldn't get a really big airplane. But every one of my upper clients want larger airplanes. So we've been at the forefront of trying to get that to happen, and it's been an interesting road. Now, as you started taking on aero models for more high-profile clients and uh, working with more electric projects, how did your workflows or technology needs change? And what were some of the ways that you feel like that was handled well and some challenges that you had to face that you worked to overcome? Yeah, yeah, probably a lot more challenges than what worked well. <laughs> uh, it was uh, pretty arbitrary at that point because we didn't know a great deal, and I had no electrical engineers in my operation. So we had to learn as, as we uh, moved forward. I had had some gasoline jet experience, but there's such a big difference between a gasoline jet and an electric because the, the gas jet uses heat to expand the air. And the fans we use, the electric ones, are just that. They're simply fans. The same amount of air goes out the back that comes in the front. And because of that, if you take a normal jet airplane designed for a gas jet, the intakes won't be sufficient uh, because they're, they're counting on expanding the air in the jet motor. Uh, so we won't have big enough uh, intakes. That'll give us a problem physically with the model. And that's the level we started at. How do we convert these things from a design of small intakes to get up to the size we needed? Same thing with the thrust tube. The thrust of our engines are, is developed in the thrust tube behind the motor. And it simply has to be the right size. 
the models didn't really want us to do that, so we had to take on uh, a lot of changing around on the airplanes. But again, if the customers insist on it, then you'll find a way to do it. And our customers uh, have been steadfast. They want electric and they don't want gasoline. So, or, or JP5 in our case. Uh, so that's what kind of drove it. And then as we went forward, we learned and learned uh, how to do the measurements. And that was, of course, where, uh, where Christian and everybody at Schubler came in because we didn't know what those numbers were. And they've worked with us over the years to be sure we know uh, because the numbers aren't simple at all. And uh, the thrust, for instance, uh, that thrust tube can be different sizes depending on whether you want power or you want speed. And so it's subtle how you go about putting all that together. And I think if you try to do it without somebody that's real good on the technical side, uh, you're probably not going to produce an airplane that flies very well. A big part of why we have these conversations with aeromodelers is to get some uh, grounded insights on how electric ducted fans have become a major part of jet aeromodeling. So how useful have EDFs been to your models over the last decade or so and why? What do they enable? Yeah, it's uh, it's been better and better every day. It's almost a linear progression for us. Uh, because at first, when you have only a 50-millimeter fan, if you don't want to put a dozen on there, you really can't have a very big airplane. So we've been working, and it turns out that that can be customer-driven, too. Uh, one of my clients spoke to Schubler many years ago about larger fans, which I don't know that that was really in their plan. But uh, if the customers insist, why you take it on? And I think that was the origination uh, well, it was the origination of the uh, HST 215s, the really, really big ones, uh, because one of my clients simply wanted a larger airplane, and I told him I wouldn't build the airplane because we couldn't power it, and uh, he's the sort of person that uh, simply went after the problem and got Schubler to agree to make the larger fans. So that's enabled us to make very big airplanes now, uh, even single-engine airplanes. Uh, we can fly planes that were just not not uh, possible before. And also now the EDF uh, that Schubler's are making can be compared directly to the gas jets. So if you've got a P200 gas airplane, uh, you can convert to one of their fans and there's a pretty good conversion table there now. So we, we don't have to guess quite so much about which fan to put in which airplane. As you've had to work on larger and larger planes for your customers. I know that you've had to learn more about not only EDF installation, but also gas conversion. Can you talk about some of those tech specifics and uh, the conversion of gas RC jets to electric jets and what the learning curve has been like as you've got into this business? Is it a toughie? What have been the specifics? Yeah, it's not tough. It's uh, it's just got a lot of surprises around the corners. Uh, we did start converting airplanes because if you want to be a collector, and, and it was, say, 10 years ago, if you want to collect those airplanes, you're going to have to convert them because the EDFs simply weren't there. Uh, so we would get an airplane, and uh, it would be a lot of times an airplane that's been flown and had gas jets in it. And we'd need to remove those. And, of course, that's a lot of fuel tubing and gas tanks and all sorts of things. And then start over and install the EDFs. It, there's some serious tricks in all of that. 
the gasoline, of course, in a normal airplane burns away during the flight, and we haven't noticed that the electrons weigh very much in the, ga- in the battery product, so the airplane comes down at the same weight it went up. That's going to give a builder a lot of problems because the, the center of gravity won't shift, uh, and you've got to make sure you've got it in the right place. Physically taking the tubing out and putting the wiring in became problems that we had to deal with as well because you don't want to destroy the airplane while you're trying to reinstall the other equipment. And so we've developed a skill set of uh, ways that we do that. And I think the doing of it now is less of a problem than it used to be. We're, we're, that's becoming pretty, pretty uh, predictable. What isn't predictable is you start with the airplane and how much it weighs and how much power it had. And that's where you need to get your heads together with uh, the folks at Schubler, particularly with Christian, and find out how we're going to put motors in that thing from the standpoint of thrust. And once that's done, then we have to figure out physically how to get the motors into it. And we've converted some very large airplanes. Uh, one of the airplanes that was all over YouTube was a 747. It said Virgin Airlines. It was built by Aldo Pitts in Germany. And um, I ended up with that one in our shop to be converted. And it's a four-engine airplane. It's in the area of 17 feet. I don't remember exactly how big it was, but it's a really big airplane. And so we had to convert that one as well. And that's where you find out how much you know about conversion. Uh, It took us uh, 90 days to do it, and it's all converted now, and everything's fine. It's got a little bit more power than it had before. And because of the way they balanced the airplane originally, we actually came out a little bit less weight than they had counting the gasoline. In other words, ready to fly. Uh, the airplane version today is a little bit lighter, uh, which is not normal for, for us because the batteries do, do give us a weight problem. Are most of the projects that you work on now using electric jets and EDFs? And are you still seeing a lot of gas to electric conversions or have most players done all their conversions at this point? Oh, no, 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 no. There's many more conversions to do. And, um, and I don't think that's going to slow down for quite some time yet. Uh, what we're hoping for, and it's begun now because Schubler has started doing it, we're hoping for airplanes that are designed for EDFs so that we don't have to slice the fuselage open and expand the openings and add intakes. Um, I think that'll be the next big corner we're going to turn from a marketing standpoint would be airplanes that were already set up for EDF, and in which case you wouldn't have to be an expert builder to make the conversion. Uh, right now, if you're not if you're not pretty experienced, you're going to have a very hard time making conversions of larger airplanes. Um, and I think the day's coming where that that won't be necessary. You'll be able to actually buy an airplane and simply bolt one of the Schubler products in there and fire it up and go flying. Um, right now, you have to as a as a customer. My customers have to be very patient. Uh, because it does take a great deal of time to take the airplane all apart and reconfigure it. Uh, but they're dedicated enough to having the electric airplanes that it's um, so far they've put up with the time delays. Let's go ahead and loop in Schubler to this conversation. I know Schubler provides assistance from start to finish to make sure things like the math is correct, uh, the right electric engine is being used, and just make sure that you've got the right analysis to achieve success. Can you break down how involved Schubler is in these processes of getting an EDF installed and how your relationship with them has evolved over the years? 
Boy, yeah, that, that's a great question. It really has evolved uh, because at first we, you know, we needed help to know how to install them. And now we've reached a level where we understand the fans and uh, we rely on them still because when I get an airplane, particularly if it's not a conversion, uh, that may be an airplane I, I don't know much about. And uh, I'll come in with the data, which is the weight, the wingspan. If, there, if it was designed for a gas engine, which one uh, was it designed for? And we'll get all that information together and then we'll start to exchange that between Christian and myself. And then the questions will start. And without them, you'd be guessing at exactly uh, what to do. Because uh, remember that uh, just to say that it's an HST215 uh, fan, there's several choices of motors that you can put in that. So the, you know, it may be in, in the case of a 98, it's a 120 millimeter frame for the for the motor, but there are several choices on how much power it could produce, and you need help to know which ones of those to choose, uh, because again, it's a speed to power uh, relationship. They're of great assist, uh, assistance trying to help us get that figured out. Once that's all figured out, um, then they help us with uh, the battery systems, exactly which ones run best for that particular motor, because there's no one in the world that knows more about it than, than the Schubler folks. So we listen carefully to all of that. And then when we get it all installed, there's a series of tests we run, and the speed controls for these larger fans uh, have a logging capability. So we take that log and email it back to Schubler after we've run our tests, and they look at the engine runs from those logs, and they can tell us if the if everything is as it should be or if we've got some kind of a problem. Last summer, we ran into an overheating problem that they detected for us by sending back the uh, logs. So their support doesn't end when the airplane's done. If we have any suspicions about the airplane, they're right there to help us based on how good the equipment is now compared to 10 years ago. Uh, the speed controls are far more sophisticated now than they they were. Uh, we used to have a very big fail rate, a uh, 20% kind of fail rate in the speed controls. And now, um, hopefully, that's down to something next to zero now. How does Schubler assist in the planning and design phase of aero modeling because i have a feeling that that is something that y you as an independent aero modeler would take a lot of pride in uh so what kind of help do you look for from schubler and even want from a partner like schubler and uh how do they integrate with that process yeah your your guess is right there that's the part we're good at and uh, we understand an awful lot about that um what we don't have is the physical facilities that Schubler has. Uh, as we approached building uh, an A380, a very large airplane, matter of fact, the largest electric airplane ever built. And as we approached that, uh, the sheer size of that airplane meant some of our calculations weren't that trustworthy. The size of it, the scale of it, made me doubt things like, where would the center of gravity really be? Um, in the airplane because the airplane's so big that the fuselage actually supplies lift, which is not included in the calculations of center of gravity. And uh, Schubler has the ability to put all that into a math model and actually fly the airplane in their computer and tell you what it's going to do. 
Um, so it's a it's something that we could not do. It's probably available from other sources. I think that kind of modeling is available. But uh, nobody that actually understands the jets like they do. So if we get in a corner like that, we'll simply sign up with them to run that modeling. And then they come back and they give you data that it's, uh, it's like uh, asking for a drink of water and having someone turn a fire hose on you. Uh, it's uh, maybe more data than you really want, but the answers will be in there. And I think that's the kind of support that I need as a, as a longtime uh, modeler and a person in this business. I don't have the computers to do that, and they do. Now, before we get into some specific designs you've worked on, I want to pick your brain a little bit more about your design process and how you get uh, inspired, passionate, and uh, differentiate yourself as an aero modeler. So walk us through some of the headspace that you put yourself in when you go to design a new model. What really gets you fired up? What are you passionate about? Uh, and what do you feel like is unique or special about your approach? Yeah, I think our approach is uh, we're, we're driven by the, by the end product. Um, so if someone comes to us and wants yet another passenger liner that flies in a straight line and uh, is, is fun to watch and looks really real, that probably isn't the center line of what gets us excited. We want to do products that really haven't been done before. They're a different size, they're a different shape, they have a different thing. One of the, one of the projects we took on internally on, for within the company is one of the things we don't see uh, is uh, an EDF designed to do serious aerobatics. Uh, most of them are scale jets. That's the business that it's always been. Uh, the only exception to that is Ali Machinsky's got a sailplane with a with an EDF on the top of it uh, that that he flies in a way that you have to see to understand. Uh, he he uh, sailplanes aren't meant to fly like that, but uh, it's really neat to watch. So based on that, we got excited about let's build an aerobatic airplane that's a twin engine uh, jet. So we have that airplane ready to fly now. We haven't actually put it in the air yet. We've been so busy, but it's an unusual looking airplane, but we think it's going to do uh, the entire pattern. And uh, that's not something you would normally ever see. And that's the kind of thing that got us going. Uh, you can get really excited about trying to put your skills on a piece of paper that that airplane will hold together when it does outside loops, but yet it's got all that power um, that you'll get if you have this airplane's 10 feet uh, wingspan, and it's got two of the new 98s in it. So it's got a lot of power. And um, so we'll start learning how to fly an airplane like that, which to our knowledge really has never been done before. And I, that's the kind of thing our organization loves to do. In the meantime, you're going to need to build some run-of-the-mill airplanes as well, and we understand that. How important is having the right technology to getting you inspired and getting you uh, fired up and passionate about an aero model? Uh, you know, when you're without the right supplies or when you're struggling to get what you need to bring your vision to life, I'm sure that can impact your ability to really get in the groove. So talk a lot about how your technology uh, and technology support, equipment support, hardware support makes it possible for you to realize your visions. 
Yeah, you, re- you, you have to have that. And uh, you get it from many sources. Schubler's an important source for us. But then there, it comes along through other ways, too. I uh, had an apprentice join me not, not too long ago, a couple of years ago. And uh, he had already apprenticed in a, in a body shop and had done a lot of work, a uh, lot better paint work than we had done. And he brought us technology that just made us a much better uh, firm to do composite airplanes. Uh, he brought us a lot we didn't understand about the new technology for paints and processes there, which is a little bit outside of what we do because, you know, we like to think we're airplane people. Uh, so we're finding the technology and we're finding it all over. Uh, there's a whole revolution going on in uh, adhesives. It used to be uh, when I started building airplanes, there was one glue and it was called Ambroid. And the good part was it would set you free if you used it for more than about 30 minutes. You'd begin to see things and, uh, and sing songs you didn't previously know. But now we have in my shop 26 different kinds of glue and we're constantly testing on new ones to get the airplane put together better and to have glues that uh, work better with the surfaces we're working on because now we've got graphite and everything and 10 years ago we didn't. So the whole thing is a, is a parade that marches forward and uh, in the old adage works here, you can either lead it or you can get left behind. And I think the companies that are doing the best are the ones that uh, are right at the forefront of that. So not only do I need to know about these new adhesives, I've got to be in on the development of them. So we're hard to push forward on that and make sure that the the guy with the next new idea, uh, we need to know about him and he needs to know about us because we can apply that. Uh, The speed controls we use for these, by the way, people think they're just for airplanes and they're not. They're electric speed controllers for DC motors. And those people are hard at work making better ones all the time. And so we're involved in that as well to be sure that the speed controls aren't going to let us down while we're trying to fly because it's a very expensive airplane. If you do have a problem, um, it makes a big mess when it hits the runway. So we try very hard to stay out in front, and that occupies right around 20% of our effort and 20% of our time of our employees uh, to try and get out ahead and stay in front of all the rest of that. All right, Brian, I want to take the last chunk of our podcast to talk about some specific projects that you've worked on. And really what I'm looking for here is for you to detail some of the exciting or unique aspects of these builds, uh, how Schubler has supported your ability to ideate and achieve these builds, and the, the net impact of each of the builds, how the client felt about it, uh, how you felt about the process, and uh, what you learned from it. So let's start with this one. You worked on a very large RC jet. It's about 21 feet long. You added uh, four of Schubler's uh, DS215 DIA impellers, uh, and that was the a380 airbus that you aero modeled so can you give us some perspective on that project oh yeah that was um it's a great project it was the biggest project we've ever done not only physically but just in planning and time uh that airplane has 3100 hours invested in it and um you know a thousand hour airplane's real unusual but a three thousand hour one is incredible. Um, That airplane originated because the customer wanted a big A380. 
And there was one purchase, or there was one built uh, by Peter Michel over in Germany, a, a consummate, wonderful master builder, uh, built this airplane, and it was uh, 18 feet, very big airplane, gas jets, and he flew it, and uh, my customers saw that and called me and said, do you think that airplane's for sale? Which, of course, it would be because he's a professional builder. And uh, we tried to buy it, and it had already been sold. And so about three months later, I get a call from the customer, and he says that he's still wants an A380 and asked me if I knew how to put balsa wood on top of foam, which, of course, we do. And that turned out to be the origination of this very, very large airplane. Uh, at 21 feet, uh, this thing is going to operate like a full-scale airplane. looks like a full-scale airplane. And uh, so the problem was we could build the airplane, but there were no motors anywhere near big enough to power that airplane because it's a 300-pound airplane. So I need four motors, and in round numbers, I'd like 50 pounds of thrust on each motor. And the largest EDF available in the world at that moment, this is six and a half years ago, uh, the largest EDF available was right around 18 to 20 pounds of thrust, and I need 50. Uh, so that didn't deter. Uh, my customer uh, got with Daniel, and they started talking about making bigger fans, and that was sort of the origination of the 215 series. It took years to build it because technically that motor is just an amazement. But when they were done, why we finally got a few of them. And so that was, uh, the airplane had been done for quite some time by the time the motors even showed up. But we got to build um, that airplane, which was a sensation for us because uh, it's a logarithmic problem as you increase the size. Um, we, the, the airplane became a big science project for us. It took a long time to get everything figured out. And one of the worries I had with it was uh, as you go towards full scale, which that one did, uh, some things change. The laminar flow numbers aren't the same. Uh, the science around the lift of the wings is not the same. And it's got uh, a lot of sweep and a lot of taper in the wings. And this, this makes very difficult calculations on how to make that airplane fly correctly. And one of the things we did that uh, I'm glad we did, we had an idea, uh, one of the other guys that worked for me, uh, we, since the airplane is foam, uh, a lot of foam, uh, we shrunk it down and made a miniature of it. So it's about a three-foot airplane. And uh, we took it in a glider format and uh, cut that foam out and got it ready to fly and took it and threw it off a hill to see what it would do. And what we learned from that airplane changed all our numbers. And it's why I think the airplane is real close to where it should be now, because we were able to, to get that science to work. I'd never done that before, but, you know, it's, a, it's always a good theory. And in our case, it really helped us because we would have had the center of gravity wrong. And as everybody knows, if you fly an airplane with a center of gravity that's wrong, uh, you're going to have a long day, uh, particularly if it comes out tail heavy. I cannot imagine a 300-pound airplane coming off the ground tail heavy. Uh, what would happen would be uh, horrible to watch. So we're now not so worried about that. Uh, the airplane is so big that it, it, uh, it actually takes two moving vans. We designed the fuselage to be wide enough to fit right in the van. There's one inch spare on each side of the moving van. And then the wings are 
or in a rack that's in a separate truck. So it takes two trucks to move it. And then you have to put the whole thing together and uh, get it ready to fly. Not too many people are going to be interested in a plane this size. And, and as a matter of fact, the customer has said, yeah, we probably went a little overboard on that one. Um, we're waiting. We actually have not flown it yet. Uh, we're waiting for uh, the schedules to be right for all the people included. We're going to take it to a local airport where we've got three or 4,000 feet of runway. And then we're going to fire it up and... Uh, taxi at first and then we'll go ahead and fly it uh, in the ground effect at first and then we'll take it up and actually fly it. Uh, one of the problems with this size airplane, it's got uh, 34 uh, batteries in it. It has uh, almost 80 pounds of batteries. And so if you, uh, if you want to go fly it three times, you're going to need a lot of charged batteries. And so that is a real limit for the way we're doing it. Um, but as you said, it has got two 215s in it, or I'm sorry, four 215s in it, and uh, because of that, it's got a whole lot of batteries wired up. The wire gauge that we ran out to the motors is uh, wire gauge number four for that wire, so it's incredibly big wire uh, just to carry all of this. Uh, each motor's 400 amps, uh, and we're dealing with four of them. So we've got uh, an awful lot of amperage. Uh, to give you just a quick idea, your house is wired for 200 amps, and each one of these motors draws four. Uh, so we have to be very, very careful, and we were blessed to have an electrical engineer join us uh, to make sure that we had all of that right, because the amperage is high enough here that uh, you could do the airplane in just by making a, uh, an electrical error. Um, so after 3,000 hours, uh, we rolled it out, and uh, we've taxied it, but like, like I said, we have not flown it yet. All right, two more to go over with you, Brian. Uh, next project I want to highlight is your Falcon 7X aviation design. Uh, can you give us some thoughts on uh, how you maneuvered some of the consistent problems that you'd had with landing uh, Falcon designs in the past, uh, what technology supported that project, and uh, some of your favorite aspects of what you learned from it? Yeah, we learned from every airplane, but the Falcon's been great. Uh, we had one, and this is an airplane cast in France by Aviation Design, an absolutely wonderful airplane, beautifully made, and not designed for EDF, by the way. So uh, it's a, it's a three-engine airplane, but the two side pods uh, aren't real uh, in, in the version that they made for us. And they were putting one big gas engine in the center position, with the intake up uh, on the beginnings of the rudder. We couldn't do that, so we put the we put these fans in the in the pods that were not that were not designed to be used and didn't put anything in the center section. Uh, and those were uh, HST 77s and the airplane flew, the airplane flew fairly well. It could have had more power, but it was okay if you were patient to take it off. The problem with that particular airplane, and the full-scale airplane's the same way, is it's like a big glider when it flies. And trying to land it is a real problem because it just doesn't want to come down, even with the flaps. Uh, the first time we tried to land that original airplane several years ago, came over the end of the runway at five feet off the runway. Everything looked perfect, and it came by me at five feet off the runway, and then it went off the end of the runway at five feet. It just wouldn't come down. 
And with a battery-operated airplane, your big concern then becomes, have I got enough battery to go around? At its home field, if you go off the end of the runway, you'll kill the airplane. So we have to be able to stop this airplane. And as it turned out, that airplane was finally lost because it went off the end of the runway. And the customer really loves the airplane, so he wanted another one. But we have to do something about this problem. And so it's in my workshop now. It's uh, done. It just needs final testing. And then we're going to we'll take it out and show it to the customer. What we did was we upgraded the two motors, cut the pods off, and built new uh, side pods and put the new 98s in it. So it's going to have plenty of power. In the center position, uh, we actually put a, a 94, an HST 94, but we turned it around backwards. So it's going to blow air out of that center intake. And uh, I, ran the, I ran the check on it as far as power, and I'm getting, uh, I'm getting right around 25 pounds of thrust backwards when I turn that motor on. Technologically, our problem was the back of that airplane has a very small hole in it, uh, and it wasn't enough to, to get air to that motor that's reversed. So we actually had to put cargo doors on the back of the airplane that open with the throttle. So as you throttle that motor up, the doors open to give it the air it needs. And um, we're going to taxi it on Sunday, but our expectation is it will stop very quickly because the engine for the, for the braking is about the same size as the main motors. So we think it's going to not even take full power to make it stop. And our days of running off the end of the runway are, are over for that airplane. That's the kind of project that gets us excited, uh, a way to solve it. And, uh, and already from the taxiing I've done here around in the shop, uh, if you can watch that thing back up like that and not laugh, you probably need a psychiatrist because this is a very entertaining thing to watch a jet do. Uh, so we've had a big laugh trying to deal with it. And uh, when we take it to the customer, I'm sure he'll enjoy it too. He doesn't know that that's the solution we chose, but I think he's going to have a big time with, uh, with doing that. One of the side benefits is you can back it out of your parking space if you want to. Uh, when you taxi it out to fly it, uh, it doesn't just go forward like most of them. Uh, we've had a lot of fun making that airplane and uh, can't wait to get it in the air and, uh, and watch it perform with a, with a good solution to the problem. All right, Brian, last thing I want to highlight with you, one more project. This one's a future one, so uh, this one's peering into the crystal ball slightly, but you've got a design of a diamond from Aviation Design that you are collaborating on with Schubler. Uh, can you give us some insights on the planning process for that project uh, and how you plan to lay out the fans and the battery, uh, specifically you know, due to any of the constraints or needs of the specific project? Sure. Yeah, that's a. It's going to be a great project. Uh, it's a terribly fast airplane. Um, I think it's the fastest one aviation design makes. Very futuristic looking. Very slick. But because of that, not a lot of room in it to deal with. Uh, it's it's made to have a large gas jet in it. Uh, we'll install one of the 130 fans. Also, a new product from Schubler that sits in between the old 98, which was a 94 fan and the new 215. So this is uh, the 130. And we think that, well, we know that's the, air, that's the motor we're going to put in it. Uh, it doesn't fit, so we'll have to do some changes on that. And the question then becomes, uh, what exactly do we have to 
to do to make it work. So technically, uh, Christian's just about done with all the data on it now to tell me what the diameters have to be on the exit side and how much intake. The intake on this airplane is about half of what it needs to be. We're going to need to come up with a solution on how to take in air uh, uh, and get that uh, fan so it isn't strangled at all. We have to do that. And there's a lot of problems with it. We've in the past had one of these, uh, the Viper series airplanes tend to have the same problem. The intakes are real small. And uh, we've taken uh, extra intakes on the bottom side of a Viper, a nice big Viper. And we took so much air in from the bottom of it that it actually sucked it down on the runway and the thing wouldn't take off. It became a really fast, really pretty car and it wouldn't jump up in the air at all because the intakes just kept it down on the runway. So we want to make sure we don't make that mistake again. And so we're going to get to create that. We're not sure what it looks like yet, but that airplane's going to go way in excess of 100 miles an hour once we get it up and running. Then the batteries, we like to keep all the batteries together from a wiring standpoint uh, because the wiring around the batteries and the distance from the batteries to the speed control is the critical factor. You can't let that turn into very much wire or you start losing power. So we don't like to separate the batteries, but in this airplane, the batteries are going to need to be separated, uh, you know, one or two up front and one or two in the middle. So we're going to have to do that without losing power. So we're going to have a uh, big time getting that designed. Um, there'll be a large help uh, on how to do that. Our technology over the years has helped us a lot because we don't tend to use a lot of wire in those battery systems. Now we've gone to bus bar technologies where we can we can use uh, heavier than wire. We can use actual brass rods to carry the power and not lose amperage as we uh, carry the power back to the speed controls. Uh, and we like to keep them as close to the motor as we can as well. So I think that's going to be the solution here. Otherwise, what will happen is you'll have a 130, but it won't produce full power. And therefore, you won't get the flight uh, characteristics that you're looking for out of the airplane. And our design is going to tell us how we do. And then once we get it together, we'll run the testing and Schubler will tell us how well we did. We think it's going to be a great project, but it may take more than one try to get it where we need it to be. We're hoping it's going to be done uh, certainly early spring. We'll have it available so the customers can go fly it. All right, Brian, thank you so much for your insight so far. My last question for you really is uh, just looking ahead. How do you plan to continue to maximize partnerships with Schubler Technologies to meet the needs of your user base and also to continue to deliver on high-quality aero models that get you passionate? Yeah, I think, I think for us there's really two areas that, that we're looking at as we go forward. One is uh, peculiar to the American market. Almost all of the EDFs in the American market are 50 millimeters, um, all small stuff. Um, and as those have uh, been used now for th really three or four years, if you go to the get-togethers, uh, the EDF Jet Jam over in Louisville and things like that, you notice that there's more and more and more people flying these. It's really a growing part of the, of the sport. But now I think we need to push those and get them a little bit bigger, get them out of the 50 millimeters 
And that's going to mean uh, better equipment. It's going to mean moving up to the, the kinds of fans we're used to putting in. So I think we can do that by example, and we have to create airplanes. Airplanes that are affordable, airplanes that uh, aren't technically impossible for the weekend modeler to put together and, and fly and understand. Models that are not dangerous, uh, that are not going to give us amperage problems and create fires on the runway. So I think that's one of the areas we're going to move towards uh, to keep going. And, and then the second area is those high-end clients. Uh, they have shifting desires as well. So there's a sweet spot for that marketplace. And the market, uh, those high-end clients in America is a very small market. Uh, it's, you know, less than a dozen people. Uh, in Europe and in other, in other parts of the world, there's quite a few of them. And I think that that market now needs special attention, that we should think about airplanes designed for that upper market. These are airplanes that uh, have large price tags on them. And um, you wouldn't make a lot of them, but I think they're, if, if you can do it on a low volume basis, we have the ability to create some new markets uh, with airplanes that would interest those people. And those would be the, the two areas we're hoping to look at as we go forward. And on that note, that does it for our conversation. Brian Dice, president of Dream RC Airplanes, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts today. It's been a pleasure unpacking your vision for aero modeling, the technologies that support your work, and how you partner with Schubler to make it all happen. And uh, Brian, if folks want to find out more about Dream RC Airplanes or potentially get in touch, how can they learn more? We don't have a website now because we, we do just deal with the higher-end clients. Uh, but we come to all of the jet events, um, uh, jet and EDF events, and we always bring airplanes. And so if they want to talk with us, we're always excited to talk to people that have uh, the same interests we do. And uh, sometimes those, uh, those customers turn out to want airplanes. And that's the easiest way to see us is join at the local events, which hopefully last year won't repeat itself and do the same thing this year. And there actually will be events. And we look forward to getting back out there to them. Fantastic. Brian, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful talking with you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Market Scale Software and Technology Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, heading to our website, marketscale.com. And to learn more about the Schubler technologies, especially electric ducted fans that we spoke about today in the context of aero modeling, you can go to Schubler's website, schubler-technologies.com. Again, Schubler, S-C-H-U-E-B-E-L-E-R-technologies.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.